Jesus is enough, he is supreme, and he is sufficient, and anything added to him is a lie. Let us pray. God, our Father, we just sang about the gospel of your Son. It is true. It is life-changing. It is the only power that enables us to walk in a way that is worthy of you, our Lord. It is objective truth. It is your gospel, your word. Enable us to embrace it by faith, to live by it in your power. Show us the danger of self-made religion that we would ever plead to Jesus as enough. We pray this in his name. Amen. Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 through 23. Now the word of God. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used. According to human precepts and teachings, these have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Thus far, the word of God. You may be seated. Shaming is, and counseling are techniques that are used by the cultural revolutionaries of our day to silence opposition and to intimidate people into compliance with their agenda. If one expresses disagreement with the progressive dogma, really, lies, regarding same-sex marriage and LGBTQ plus normalization, critical race theory, systemic racism, abortion rights, and just a host of other issues, one is subjected to an onslaught of shaming, judging, with a goal to cancel, to disqualify. And this, if one does not acquiesce, to the revolutionary demands. Sadly, this tactic is very, very successful. We see it being successful in corporations across our world, amongst universities, in government agencies, and even some Christian organizations within recent months, Bethany Christian Services being shamed 
into getting in line with the moral and cultural revolutionary demands of our day. As we continue our study of the letter of Colossians, we turn to Paul's view of this false teaching, and in particular, the dangers of this false teaching in Colossae, and we might even extend these dangers to the church in our day. The false teachers used the similar tactics as the cultural revolutionaries of our day, shaming and canceling. Paul exhorted the believers, let no one pass judgment on you. Let no one disqualify you. Let no one shame you into getting in line with something that is purported to be true, but in essence is a false teaching, a gospel that is no gospel at all, a belief system that if you adopt it will disqualify you and lead you astray from Christ. I read Paul here as reminding us that Jesus is enough. He is supreme. He is sufficient. And to add anything to Jesus is a lie. This was the danger for them and it's a danger for us today as we face the danger of Jesus plus, which is nothing more than a self-made, man-centered, Christless religion. It's a lie. We'll work through this passage and we'll be looking at three things the characteristic of this false teaching or the danger, the problems of this false teaching, this self-made religion, and then the deception of it. So let's look first at the characteristics of this self-made religion. It is to be understood, the primary characteristic in my judgment, is syncretism. Look at verses 18 and 19. Now, you all know what syncing is. We, it's very common in our digital lives today. Uh, we have various digital devices, and because of the functionality of the digital cloud, we can, we can sync all of our data across all of our devices. And it really is handy when you enter something on your phone, it gets synced with your iPad or your computer your laptop or your desktop and so our data is is synced across all of our platforms and living in this digital age that is really handy I like it but when it comes to syncing belief systems or syncing those things that aren't the gospel with aspects of the gospel it results in catastrophe for the believer. It results in no gospel at all. Syncretism was, was not new in Paul's day. The history of ancient Israel, for example, is replete with episodes of syncretism. It was the people of God in the Old Testament, in particular the kings, leading the nation in 
taking those things that were pagan and sinking them with the worship of Yahweh. Syncretism, fusing these two things together. The passage that Carl read from 2 Kings 21, I would encourage you to read it again because it is a very clear and sad example and really is a definition of syncretism. There, Manasseh rejected the reforms of his father, Hezekiah. Hezekiah sought to reform the nation and bring the nation back to covenant faithfulness. But Manasseh rejected those reforms and did what was evil in the eyes of the Lord. He sought to syncretize, to fuse together, to reconcile the worship of Baal with the worship of Yahweh, even establishing and erecting the Asherah pole in the, tab, the, the uh, place of God, the place that bore God's name. That is a very profound, picturesque definition of syncretism. And if that were not enough, Manasseh actually burned his infant son right outside the city gates of Jerusalem in the valley of Ben-Hinnom, sacrificed his son to the Canaanite god Moloch and the Baals. The worship of Yahweh, the worship of Baal blended together, resulting in idolatry. And the point we need to understand that whenever you add anything to Jesus, whenever you add anything to biblical faith, it results in idolatry. It results in not the gospel, not the truth. It results in a lie. Paul's description of the content of this erroneous teaching is given in verses 16 and 18. And it points to his view that likely this, this false teaching that was going about Colossae was a sinking of distorted Old Testament elements along with pagan elements. So for example, look at verse 16. The phrase food and drink refers to that the Old Testament dietary laws. And the purpose of these Old Testament regulations concerning food and drink was that the Israelites, by observing these dietary laws, would externally present themselves as cultic and ceremonially clean in order to go before God in worship. That was the purpose of the dietary laws. When Christ came, he abrogated those laws. The, the, the second category of Old Testament ordinances that were distorted would be in verse 16 as well. They associated with special days, festivals, and new moon and Sabbath. And here again, these festivals, new moon and Sabbath, all these ordinances concerning special days was, was for the purpose of God's people pr to prepare to approach him in worship. And here again, with Christ coming, those ordinances were abrogated. 
Jesus fulfilled the sacrificial, the ceremonial, and the cultic laws of Israel. The moral law stands, the Ten Commandments, but these other laws Jesus abrogated, he fulfilled. They are no longer needed. They ended. But then look at verse 18. He gives additional elements of this false uh, teaching. Now, this verse has been described as one of the most difficult verses in the New Testament to interpret. So please keep that in mind as I struggle to give you a suggested interpretation of what Paul is intending here. I, by, by Paul mentioning asceticism, he is likely thinking about several things here, one being fasting. Notice that he's already spoken about the, the dietary laws of the Old Testament. So Paul may very well be looking at this asceticism in verse 18 as, com, as, as, being, as including fasting, doing without various foods. Look at verse 21. He mentions do not handle, do not touch, do not taste. I believe this also supports the idea that part of this ascetic Discipline would go with not partaking of certain foods, fasting. As well, this asceticism may have included a bodily mutilation. Look at verse 23 where he makes a reference to the severity of the body. I understand that to mean inflicting punishment upon the body. We think of the monks beating themselves trying to literally beat the sin out of them to somehow do extreme uh, penance. And these false teachers were imposing these requirements of self-abasement to demonstrate true, they would think, humility and piety, when in essence it was false humility and false piety because there wasn't a connection between the external act and the internal state of the heart. Paul seems to be indicating that, that the purpose of this asceticism was to prepare oneself for the worship of angels. And there actually is historical evidence to angel worship being a part of the, uh, the Jews' worship as well as pagan worship rituals of the first century. And then we have this reference regarding going on in visions. And what in the world is Paul meaning by that? And I think one of the best explanations of that is, is to see that there was a visions where angels, angel worship was being observed in, in pagan temples was part of uh, mystical cultic practices of the first century. Now you see why this is one of the more <laughs> difficult verses in the New Testament to interpret. And so Paul viewed the false teaching as, as, as a synchronization of distortions of Old Testament law and just outright pagan cultic mysticism. And the result was the same, irrespective of how you understand these elements. The result was a self-made, Christless religion. 
And we face this danger today. It may look like the gospel being synced with, here's the crazy thing. We face the gospel being synced with legalism. Jesus plus don't drink alcohol. And we also face the gospel being synced with license or cheap grace. Jesus plus you've got to embrace same-sex attracted identified Christians. The gospel may be synced with humanism, really paganism, resulting in something that is not a gospel at all. I believe, if we haven't already gotten to this point yet, but we may very well soon arrive at this point, that, that, that there will be those who are going to try to sync the gospel with Marxist ideologies. Just think of the struggle that we already have with critical theory and critical race theory that is rooted in Marxism and how that, I believe, is infecting sectors of our church. Faith in Jesus synced with anything else equals a different gospel altogether, Paul says in Galatians. That is no gospel at all. It is a self-made religion, a Christless religion. We need to be clear, Jesus is enough. He is supreme. He is sufficient. And anything we seek to add to him results in one big now secondly Paul's view of the false teaching in Colossae leads us to ask the question what were the main problems with this false teaching we see this in verses 17, 19 20 and 22 let's look at verses 20 through 22 first first, um, this is the first point of the second point did you get that The first problem is this. Paul says, Colossians, you have died to the elemental spirits of the world, verse 20. So their union with Christ. And by the way, for, for much of the last couple of three Sundays, we've really been navigating and, and dealing with all the wonderful aspects of being united to Christ and saving faith. And here Paul says that based on your union with Christ, in his death and resurrection, it, it means that you've died to the old nature. You have died to those elemental aspects of the world, that, that fallen world. You've died to those things. You've been raised, and, raised anew to new life in Christ. You've been raised to a new kingdom, your citizens of heaven. Though you may be living, and you are living here on this earth, your true citizenship is in heaven, not this world. And Paul says, remember, you've died to those things. You, you not only have died to those things, but you share in Christ's victory over the world, the rulers and authorities. We looked at this back in chapter 2, verses 6 through 15. So the first problem is you embrace this false teaching 
that is rooted in the elemental teachings of this world, the old world, the fallen world, you need to remember you've died to all of that. You're a new creature in Christ. You have a new kingdom. You have a new citizenship. You've got a new destiny, and that's heaven. And then secondly, and where I want to focus more of our attention, albeit briefly, is on the second problem, which is this false teaching, this self-made religion is according to human precepts and teachings. Verse 22, it's man-made, and as such, it is by nature idolatrous. It is not based on God's object of truth, but on man's view of truth. It's idolatry. So Isaiah 29, 13, And the Lord said, Because this people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips, while their hearts are far from me, and their fear of me is a commandment taught by men. Now that's one verse taken out of a context. <laughs> Let me tell you what the context is. It has to do with idolatry. It has to do with the people of Israel adding to the worship of Yahweh man-made commandments and being driven more by those man-made commandments than by the fear of God that has been written upon their hearts. So basically it is a focus on an external religion avoiding the internal and more significant realities of God's work in our hearts that are to be the fountain or the well of our actions, our thoughts, and our words. So Isaiah, God through Isaiah, rebukes Israel for fearing God, not based on God, but on man-made commandments and regulations. So to trust in the false teaching, the, the, the dietary distortions from the Old Testament, the special day distortions from the Old, Old Testament, that Paul says in verse 17, are shadows of Christ. They had a purpose in their day as shadows pointing to the reality to come Christ. But Paul is saying, you're distorting the gospel with those things that are shadows and avoiding the substance, which is Christ. Do you see what's happening here? And then in verse 17, False teachers, you're demanding that the believers in Colossae follow your requirements of asceticism that you believe will prepare them to worship angels that they have seen because of some pagan mystical cultic practice where they're able to see into some reality angels being worshipped. It sounds nutty, doesn't it? Does it sound nutty? Am I the only one that thinks it sounds nutty? Because it is nutty. And I want to make sure you understand it's nutty. You go about doing without food and feeding your body so you can be prepared to worship angels that you have seen in these mystical, cultic, pagan 
provisions. But that's going to cause you to grow in walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. Don't even bother with thinking about the head of the body, Jesus, who actually is the source for true godly growth. That's, that's old school. Forget it. This is where the real Christian life is lived. Worshiping angels and beating your body. I mean, it just sounds absurd, doesn't it? When Paul has already declared that Jesus is the only one in whom is the salvation and the power that we might walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. And here these false teachers are trying to shame the Colossian Christians into buying into that which, a false gospel, which will actually disqualify them by leading them away from Christ, leading them away from the head into what is nothing but a lie. And I can say a lie from the pit of hell. And it's a lie that is nothing more than idolatry. And if you still haven't understood this, <clears throat> then let me explain it this way. The same thing happened in Galatia. The Apostle Paul had to get on the back of the Apostle Peter. The Apostle Paul used the strongest language he used in the Bible against the Apostle Peter. He said, Peter, you be damned. That's what he said. Anathema to you, Peter. Why? Why would Paul say that to Peter? My goodness, this is Peter. It's because Peter had bought into this Jesus plus business. Jesus bought into the Jesus plus circumcision. Peter bought into Jesus plus the dietary laws. Imposing Judaism upon Gentile believers. You've got to be circumcised, you've got to eat this food, you can't eat that food. And if you do that, you'll be first-class citizens. That's what Peter bought into 13 years after his episode with Cornelius, with the animals on top of the roof. And the Apostle Paul said, Peter, you are preaching a different gospel. You are preaching a distorted gospel. You are preaching a gospel contrary to what I have preached, you are fusing Jesus with legalism. And the result is not a Christ-centered slash legalism-centered gospel. The, please understand it. The result is a legalism-centered gospel. Christ is taken out. When you add anything to Christ, you subtract Christ from the equation. That's what we need to hear. That's what was going on in Colossae. That's what was going on in Galatia. That's what we have to face even in our day, even in the church. 
with Jesus plus whatever man-made requirement and regulation you have. It is saying Jesus is not enough. It takes this. It takes that. And yet the Bible says, Paul says, and based on God's word through them, I say Jesus is enough. He is supreme. He is sufficient. And anything added to him results in a lie. One big lie. Paul pointed out the Christless problem of this false religion. And we face that same danger. Take whatever you like. Just replace Christ in Christ-centered. A legalism-centered, a license-centered, an asceticism-centered, a side-be gay Christian-centered, a social justice-centered, a liberation theology-centered, a systemic racism-centered. It just goes on and on and on and on. If you really want to be a true Christian, if you really want to be first-rate and first-class, then it's Jesus plus. That's, that's the inference here. And yet the Bible teaches Jesus is enough. Why is it, what is necessary for you, to, you and me to be in Christ, to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord? Will eating the right foods do it? No. Will observing the right days do it? No. Will punishing our bodies do it? No. Though we may lose some weight. Will anything added to Christ do it? No. Paul answers, Jesus plus nothing else. In case I haven't said this, let me say it again. Jesus is enough. He is supreme. He is sufficient. And adding anything to him is one big lie. And now thirdly and finally, the deception. The deception of self-made religion. It appears to be spiritual but it lacks power to truly transform one's life, one's heart, to empower one to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. I remember saltwater fishing off of a pier that jetted out into the Atlantic. The pier at one end was out in the Atlantic, the other end was connected to Carolina Beach, yeah, just outside of Wilmington or in, in Wilmington, North Carolina. My dad took me fishing, and I, I was a little boy, and I remember, have you ever been on a pier? If you haven't, I highly recommend it, especially at night. It's pretty cool, actually. And I remember casting my line with my shrimp bait on and just sitting there. All of a sudden, man, I got a big tug on that, that pole, that line. And I started reeling that thing in. Of course, you know, the pier is pretty high, so it took forever to reel that catch in. And I thought it, I thought it was a prize catch. I thought it was going to be in that counter there at the uh, pier office that displays all the big catches. I reeled and reeled and reeled. That old pole bent, 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 and I went, whoa, I can't believe this. And I reeled it up. It was the ugliest thing I've ever seen in my life. It was a blowfish. It was puffed up. It had swallowed all of this water. It was hideous looking. 
then I thought, well, maybe I've caught some extinct, thought to be extinct sea creature. No, it's just a blowfish. But the guy still put it in the counter. It was so ugly. So can I have been such a great catch that they displayed it? Or can you believe how ugly this thing is and they displayed it? It was displayed. The appearance of a great catch. But the appearance didn't match up with the reality of it. A very disappointing thing for a little kid. And Paul seemed to be saying something similar here. The false teachers in verse 23 that there was an appearance of wisdom in promoting this false teaching. Look at verse 18. They were puffed up and saying, yeah, this asceticism, this angel worship, these visions, this is the way to go, Christian. They were puffed up in pride for their false teaching would result in disqualifying one from heaven if they truly adopted it. They insisted our way is the right way if you want to mature and walk in a manner worthy that is pleasing to the Lord. Asceticism, angel worship, dietary laws, a formula for victory in the Christian life, right? That's what they were saying. The appearance, the external, the promise, but it was void of any substance. It was void of any power. Why? Because it was void of Christ. It was a Christless religion that they purported. And the elements of their false teaching were of no value, the apostle says. Look at verse 23. But they were of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. The, the, the true power to walk in a manner that is worthy of the Lord is that inward work of grace that is poured out upon our hearts, that is rooted and based in the person and work of Jesus Christ, that truly transform us from the inside out and fuels our outward obedience and our discipline and our walk, that we might walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. This false religion had no power because it had no Christ. It was Christless. It was self-made, and hence it was idolatry. I think one of the most profound passages of Scripture in the Bible, one verse that shows idolatry more than any other in the entire Bible is Jeremiah 2.13. And here the prophet says, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living water, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. That is Jeremiah's description of idolatry. Spring of living water, all the life-giving water you could possibly drink, and more and you reject it, you turn from that, and you turn to a self-made religion that is equal to a mud puddle that you have dug. And you think drinking out of that mud puddle is going to satisfy you and cause you to grow. While the whole time there's the spring of living water, there's the, 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 the river of life flowing and you turn from it 
and trust your self-made religion a mud puddle. And Paul is imploring the Colossians, don't be shamed into buying into this idolatrous false teaching or it will disqualify you. It will lead you astray and you will forsake the spring of living water, the Lord Jesus Christ. The Soviet dissident Alexander Solzhenitsyn wrote a message entitled, Live Not By Lies. And he wrote this as his last message to his fellow Russians as he was being expelled from the Soviet Union in 1974. He urged his countrymen who were living under the repressive totalitarian communist government that, by the way, Solzhenitsyn said was founded on lies. He asked them, he begged them, he urged them to commit to this, a personal non-participation in lies. Never knowingly support lies. And maybe some of you have picked up Rod Dreher's new book by the same title, Live Not By Lies. And Dreher sees the same type of ideology at the core of the cultural revolution in our country today. And he challenges us with Solzhenitsyn's call to his fellow countrymen in his day to not live by lies a non-participation in lies. Never knowingly support lies. We are being shamed and threatened with being canceled if we do not speak and think in line with the man-centered dogma of the moral revolutionaries in our culture. But the greater danger is not that. The greater danger is a Christless, man-centered, powerless lie that has the appearance of the gospel. That is Jesus plus. You fill in the blank. And we need to perhaps consider the possibility that those of us in the church may actually face shaming and the threat of being canceled if we do not get in line with a distorted gospel that is that we face from other Christians in other words, there may come a day where we will be shamed and threatened to be canceled if we don't embrace Jesus plus critical race theory. Jesus plus side B gay Christians, that is same sex attracted Christians. And that is their identity 
or Jesus plus some form of legalism. These things may gain footholds in the church. But Paul's word to us is Jesus is enough. He is supreme and he is sufficient. And we need to be committed to him and to his gospel according to the scriptures. And we need to commit as Solzhenitsyn asked his countrymen to commit to a non-participation in lies, in lies, never saying or having anything to do or knowingly support lies. What I'm asking us to consider is what Paul is asking the Colossians to consider, and that is take a stand on Jesus is enough. Don't let others try to disqualify you. Don't let others judge you because you take a stand on Jesus is enough. Because if you take a stand on Jesus is enough, you will find that he is enough. He is supreme. He is sufficient. And in him, we will be able to stand against the lies. Let us pray. Our Father, we do ask for you to enable us to rest and trust in Jesus and his gospel. Father, where we have added our little man-made rule to the gospel, Lord, bring us to true repentance. And Father, I pray about this only because I am guilty of this. That we can so quickly turn from Jesus is enough to Jesus plus. Even in our personal relationships here at Covenant, within our families, and then as we judge others in the church. So we ask for you to bring us to repentance that, that we would not only take a stand on Jesus is enough with these external threats, but we take a stand, Jesus is enough within our own hearts. And we would trust him and embrace him. Our Father, I pray that you would protect your church here at Covenant, protect your church, the Presbyterian Church in America. And Father, even pray that you'd protect your true church that transcends all denominational barriers. The true people of God, enable us, Lord, to take a stand and to be committed to Jesus is enough. Father, I pray that you would be pleased to grow us as a church, to grow us as individual believers, to grow us in Christ Jesus. And we ask these things in his name. Amen.